It is. There's a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of, you know, risk taken. The thing that comes to mind is like childbirth. You forget about it. You think of the good stuff, right? You think of the great stuff, the outcomes, the people you've affected, the opportunities you've produced for people and for my own family. I mean, you know, I, I don't kid anybody about my reason and my, my executive team tell you the same thing. The reason we go to work every day is to take care of our families, period. I don't care where you work, who you work for, anywhere in this world. That's why we go to work. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you again, and we are excited to wrap up our conversation with Mike Brewer. Last week, we had him on for the first part of our show to talk about his journey from a two-man operation to the largest plumbing company in the state of Arizona. This week, we're going to be concluding that conversation, picking right up where we left off with him in the middle of some of his thoughts. Uh, But before we do that, we're going to do a quick little intro. You must have a level of discontent to feel the urge to want to grow. Itawu Koyanikin. I feel like I've heard that name before. You have heard that. You heard that name a week ago, my friend. Is that right? Because he was also our quote from last week. Yeah, I just, (laughs) I thought it appropriate to use him again because as I said last week, I looked his name up and the the pronunciation was in his Wikipedia and I appreciated that. Well done. You killed it the second time as well. He's a writer and a business consultant internationally acclaimed writer and business consultant. Well, I tell you what, I think our guest could soon be an international writer and business consultant based upon the things that we've already picked up from him. Yeah, you're not kidding. And we haven't even really got into the good stuff yet. (laughs) Hold on. It was all good stuff. (laughs) We haven't gotten into the great stuff yet. Yeah, Mike Brewer is going to be joining us for the second part of his conversation. And if you missed last week, make sure you go back and uh, catch yourself up to hear the beginning of his story. But he is a man on a journey Uh, And while it may seem like he's reached a conclusionary piece of that journey, I don't think he's done yet, Brian. I think he has a lot more to give. But he has gone from literally two-man operation to owning and then selling the largest uh, plumbing company in the state of Arizona. Built and sold the largest plumbing company in Arizona. Yeah, and we're not talking about, you know, just one niche market. This guy's all over the place. He's doing massive uh, builds for new construction. He's in the retail side of things. He's also in the service market. I mean, he is well diversified within that region. Yep. He had a level of discontent and the urge to want to grow. And, uh, I like that quote. That's, that's, uh, that's one I'm scratching in my quote book and going to return to from time to time. And it's something I like about it. Like the audience of a show like this one, you know what I mean? Not everybody's going to listen to it, to a podcast like this. Then I don't mean this episode, but yeah, this episode, but this type of show in general, it's like you have to, you, you've got to feel like there's a little more out there than, than where you're currently at. And that's a mindset that not everybody has that, that reaching forward and, and wanting a little bit more. 
You know what I mean? Well, and there's also a difference between listening and applying. And that's really, that's really the differentiator because, hey, listen, I listen to this podcast. Lots of people listen to this podcast. I don't feel like you listen to this podcast. Okay, anymore. fair. I don't actually listen too much to the podcast. <laughs> but when I do the editing. When you edit, you listen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the application of the principles within. I, I don't feel like, a, I, I feel like most of the people who would take the hour, hour and a half a week to listen to this kind of show do not have a problem with at least trying to apply the principles they hear because if, you, if you're the type of person that can devote an hour, hour and a half a week to this type of show, if, you're, if you have the discipline to cut that time out of your week, out of the, what is it, 168 hours you have in a week, is that right? Yes, 168 is actually correct. Seven days, 24 hours. Now, I, I understand most people listen to it on their drive you know, mowing their lawn. Uh, where are some, so we've had people tell, tell us they listen to it while working out, which that one surprised me a little bit because I could not hear Nate's voice while I was trying to get a, get a good pump, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I don't as, know what to say. Falling asleep on the weight bench. Wow. <laughs> With the, the, uh, corny <laughs> low hanging fruit jokes. It's my late night <laughs> FM. Radio, Radio DJ, DJ yeah, the old Chris Voss. Yes. Um, yeah, but I feel like if you're dedicating nearly 10% of your week to listening to something like this, you're on a mission. I already, I believe that you've, you've already done the hardest part, which is committing yourself to a little bit of extra education. And look, we're wildly entertaining. I get that. I, I get it. Hilarious dudes. I are you if you're looking for the counter argument here, you're not finding me. I'm not looking for one, my man. Actually, I was looking for the studio audience to bring us in with a little applause. Oh, there they are. Hey, thanks guys. We appreciate it. Come on, stop, stop. Seriously, stop. Uh, uh, <laughs> but it, it can feel it can feel like work to you know, I was I'm somebody who we haven't talked about this in a while, but I had a sticky note on my dashboard in my plumbing truck that said MBU. And it was just, I, I needed to figure out how to write something on a sticky note that I could put on my dashboard next to my stereo. It was that 10th grade Detroit education. I didn't have a lot. <laughs> I didn't have a huge vocabulary to choose from. Where I went for the knob on the radio and, and I had to pass this sticky note where instead of going for the music or the, the Jim Rome sports show or, you know, whatever, Howard Stern or Adam Kroll, I would stop what I was doing and go, oh, that's right. I got to be listening to Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, um, Zig Ziglar, Napoleon Hill, audiobook, whatever. It, it got, there were times it could be work. So I, I really had to master my, myself and like beat myself into submission to make myself put that tape in over and over and over again. It helped to have that sticky note there. So I was, I was working on getting my degree from MVU, my vehicle university. And that what I was pursuing changed constantly. Today it's sales. Tomorrow it's communication. The next day it's body language. Then maybe it's just motivational stuff, you know, to, to keep me grinding when I knew I was going to be in a Las Vegas attic repiping a house. It was, you know, 106 degrees outside. And they had blow-in fiberglass insulation, which is just... The most fun you can have when you're sweating is just being surrounded by blown in insulation. Um, but you know, you wanted to listen to some stand up comedy or some music and just be soothed. 
and relax and calm down a little bit and to, to make yourself take hours a week or even if it's just this show, which I doubt anyone who's listening to this show only listens to this show in terms of motivation, inspiration. I believe the people who regularly listen to a show like this are also taking action almost naturally because they are they're, they're forward-thinking people. They're, they're motivated people. You're right, Brian. Grinders. And, and I'm not sure that we ever really stop enough and, and say, well done, right? I mean, for you listening, if you're listening to this show and you're trying to improve yourself, well done. Yeah, you're, you're in a small sub. It's mostly technicians, right? It's mostly plumbing, HVAC, electrical techs. Do we think we're ever going to get a large percentage of plumbers, HVAC techs, and electricians to listen to this show? No. Absolutely not. That, that is... That would be the biggest joke we could ever play on ourselves because at every company I've ever been at, less than 10% of the people I worked with were like me. Not that I'm something grand to esteem to, but I wasn't there to sit in my truck for the rest of my life. I was there to figure out what my next step was and then learn the fastest way to get there. And that's what I was, that's what I'm doing now. That's all I was ever doing in my truck. And I always had a couple people at every company who were like that. And they would be listening. To, actually, most of them are listening to this right now or whenever they're listening to it. Most of them will hear this. And the majority of the people at the company would never listen to something like this. They will only listen to music and they have 15 excuses of why they have to listen, listen to something. that's. There are things that make you smarter, right? Stands to reason that there are things that make you dumber. Do you think there are a lot of things that just keep you neutral? Green and growing or brown and dying. Oof. Yeah. I got a lot of good reasons to listen to things that are making me brown and dying. There's a lot of entertainment there. Really? <laughs> you got legitimate reasons to, like your life is going to be that long that you got all that extra time to waste. Come on. 168 bro. hours. Oh, come on. Need to, I need to have a conversation with that guy. Uh, well, one of those guys that is trying to improve is Mr. Mike Brewer, and we have a lot of his story left to go. So without further ado, uh, we want to thank you for being a listener to this podcast, being somebody who has the motivation to continue pursuing excellence. And we want to put Mike Brewer in your passenger seat right now. Our guest today is Mike Brewer. He is returning to our podcast for the second part of this episode. He is the CEO of Brewer Companies and senior advisor to Synergos Companies. I already did quite a bit of his uh, bio last time, but one piece that we didn't cover is that he is devoted to the contracting industry and is the past president of the American Subcontractors Association of Arizona and is the past chair of the steering committee for the Build Your Future Arizona Initiative, which is BYFAZ.org. Mike was instrumental as one of the initial leaders of the concept of a marketing campaign to attract the youth of our state to consider a career in the trades while striving to change the perception of the general public from trade workers being dead-end jobs to the deserved recognition that they are actually a gateway to a highly lucrative and sound career. I believe we're going to try to dig into a little bit more of that on this part of the episode. But for right now, welcome back to the show, Mike. 
Hey, thanks. And as we left off uh, last time in the middle of our conversation, you were talking about how your executive team and you were just getting ready to restructure the company with a new vision. For those of you who haven't heard part one, you definitely want to go back and listen to that before you jump into the second half here. Uh, but that's where we're going to pick up there, Mike. So if you could just kind of take off from there and we'll, we'll follow with you. Uh, got my executive team in place. We've got our compensation structure in place, which, by the way, added a whole bunch of new overheads. And I called them out on it and said, you know, you do realize this plan has to work because we just added a whole bunch of new overheads to a business that, and I'll, I'll give you the current state of the business at the time. It was about a $32 million business. And our bottom line net net profit, I think that prior year was not even a decent new construction company um, percentage, but around it, maybe down just a hair and say 2% to the bottom line. And that's an immense amount of risk, that much revenue to get that kind of return. And so the new plan was not that, it was to grow a very large EBITDA company that was repeatable. And again, that's where this fantasy conversation comes in. When they first told me, you know, my, I laughingly said, what are you guys smoking? Because the number they wanted to get to repeatedly, um, build a company that could, you know, duplicate it year over year, um, because the way we built it was basically insane relative to where we were at that time. Um, so we had some, you know, we had some conversation around it, but we realized day three of the meeting was we need more help. The five of us can't do this by ourselves. And so we looked internally and said, okay, well, we need the next layer down. And we came up with what we said was we'll call them directors. Um, nothing unique about that other than that day, none of them had that in their title. And we had a controller, we had HR. I guess maybe she was head of HR. I don't think she even had director on her card. Um, we had uh, operations guys, field managers, you know, different things, but we identified 10 people that were solid, solid. They'd been with the company a long time. They were completely bored, you know, bought into who we were, what we were. And we said, you know, let's give them an opportunity. And so they also got an opportunity to be compensated based on outcomes. And so with that group, the difference was um, we brought them all in. We talked to them in effective January 1st of 2017, we started this new configuration with this new intention to produce a substantially larger outcome that next year. Uh, round numbers, our target was $2 million of earnings that next year, um, going from, I think, about 600000 the prior year. And everybody got to play in that outcome. And so it meant something to the guys. We hadn't had any kind of profit sharing in a long time, but it just changed. So we started, we made a commitment to them because they, again, as business owners um, listening, when you bring people in and you talk about business, I think we all have this predisposed thinking that people understand how we make money. And I'm here to tell you, most of the people that work for you don't have a clue how a business makes money. And so we made an intentional move to, I think we took about eight or 10 weeks every Tuesday morning for an, up to an hour and a half, at least an hour. Uh, we went through our income. So we taught them P&L, so income statement. We taught them balance sheet and we taught them work in process. 
and on the new construction side, the work in process is critically important. Um, but effectively, we taught them how to think about business and how to think about um, how do they make a profit that they get to participate in. And it was crazy how fast their actions changed. Um, one one big piece that really changed about six weeks after we started this was internal operations. It was, you know, internal. So they took care of all our technology, all of our safety, all of our anything that supported the field operations or building a house. Um, but the warehouse was under the guidance of our external operations guy. All the field stuff that got done, actual work that got done, billable work, I'll put it that way. Um, and so about six weeks into it, two of the directors that answered one of my executives came to him and said, we need to take the warehouse over. So the internal operations guy said, we need to take over the external operations component um, or the warehouse. And so he brought it to our meeting and we, you know, he said, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but my team says we need to take over the warehouse. And the reason I tell this story is because it goes back to tying to the bottom line. The reason they wanted to take over the warehouse was that it wasn't being managed appropriately. And their, their verbiage around it was every day stuff walked out that back door that nobody tracks. We don't have a clue where it's going. It might be going to our job sites. It might be going to Aunt Alice's house. It might be going on a side job someplace else. They may be building their own house. There's no one tracking that. And those are our dollars walking out that back door. Well, that's a complete shift because when it was Mike's money walking out the back door, nobody cared. But now all of a sudden, these guys have a very, very small skin in the game, so to speak, given to them. And it all of a sudden became a very important factor on what locked out the back door and what didn't and how it was tracked. So, I mean, that's just an example of when you tie people to the bottom line, you educate them on how a company makes money and how they make a profit that they get to participate in, you get a completely different type of buy-in. It's completely different. So moving ahead, um, 2017, we started off. Um, everybody knew what their opportunity was that year. All, I'll say 15 people at the top were tied to the bottom line. Uh, we started diving into the business, the big business, trying to fix pieces of the business. And there was a lot of broken parts. Um, fast forward, I think I mentioned already, we expected to do $2 million bottom line that year. We had ups and downs. There was a lot of cost in fixing things. So through Jan or July of 2000, in 17, we had net net to the bottom line. I think it was $7,000 to the plus side. So we weren't losing money anymore. Um, I happened to be going on vacation and I picked up a book on my bookshelf. So I'm a part of the entrepreneurs organization as well and have been for a long, long time. One of the events I went to, they gave out a book that I brought promptly back to my office and put on my bookshelf. Along with a whole bunch of other books I've never read. This one happened to be... <laughs> The EOS book. Um, and so would I was that, going on vacation. Would that be Traction or uh, what yeah, the heck is was, EOS? No, nah, it was Traction. And uh, so I took that with me over the weekend or whatever for the week, went on vacation and read it. And I didn't quite laugh all the way through it, but it was darn close to it. And I got excited. What I got excited about was, man, we're doing a whole bunch of this stuff already. You know, there's some nuances that we definitely weren't. But what I was excited about was two things. One was culture that 
you know, EOS puts a culture in place that is agreed upon by all, ultimately. Doesn't happen overnight, but it at least gives you a roadmap. And, you know, as a small business, and I was a guy out in the field running people and doing work. Everybody knew what I stood for. We're close to, we're easily, at that point in time, 350 employees. And I literally had people walk by me in the hall that they probably knew who I was, but I had no idea who they were or what they did. Just never thought I'd have a business like that, but just the nature of the business had us be in that. So how in the heck could they know what I stood for in our culture if they didn't even, like I didn't know who they were. So oh they yeah, that's, that's a great point. So that was the number one thing with EOS for me was the culture piece, an opportunity to fix that. All boats rolling in the same one. direction as they would say. Yep. The second one was accountability that's built into the system. Um, so anyway, I came back, read the book, came back, bought four other copies, walked into each of my executive offices, said, hey, here's a book, read it. I, I don't know, I gave them two weeks to read it, I think. And we're going to get together and have a conversation about it. So they weren't amused by it, to say the least, but they committed. Yep, I'll read it, get back to you. So I'm sure they had their own conversations about it. But anyway, we sat down a couple of weeks later and said, you know, what do you guys think? And it's like, well, you know, we already got our new structure, new, you know, we're doing good stuff. We're starting to make a profit. Um, you know, I don't know why we would need to do something like this. And I said, well, and I told them, you know, the accountability piece and the culture piece. And they said, yeah, okay, well, I get that a little bit, but I mean, we're, we're just kind of starting out our own thing. And so this, you know, distraction, if you will. I said, well, here's the thing. I already got it booked. We're going to go do our 90 minute. And for those that have done EOS or considered it, you start with a 90 minute conversation with the, what they call an implementer. So we went and met an implementer here in Phoenix. I said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go spend an hour and a half with them. And then we're going to go to lunch for an hour and a half afterwards. And at the end of those three hours, we're either going to be thumbs up, we're doing EOS or thumbs down and we're just keep doing what we're doing. Of course, you know, as the business owner and the obvious things that I see and how awesome this would be didn't translate to my team so much. Um, we went and did the hour and a half. They asked, you know, all the questions they had. We got done and we went over and had lunch. And as we sat around and everybody ordered lunch, and so I turned to my CFO, who had to be on my immediate right, first strategic misstep. <laughs> he speaks very well. He's a smart guy, and he's the money guy. And so he proceeded to tell me why we didn't need to spend $35,000 a year for five days of someone's time when we've got our own thing and we're kind of, you know, it's just starting to really kind of get legs and, and uh, you know, let's just stay the course. and. So as we went from person to person around the table as we ate lunch, everybody fell in line with his narrative. Everybody spoke about the same stuff. And, you know, it's obvious to me I'd made a blunder and that this was not going to go well. So we got done with lunch. Of course, I'd said we're going to vote, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. And uh, I knew there was no reason to have a vote. It was thumbs down and we were going back to work. And so I said, well, as I closed lunch out, paid the bill, I said, well, it's obvious to me we don't have enough information yet. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call this guy, and I need three more pieces of information. I want three people to talk to. I want to talk to one that somebody that's done EOS, they've graduated, quote, unquote, and they're out operating inside it. I want somebody that's currently in process with you, probably at least three months in the system already. 
And then somebody that started and somewhere along the way said, yeah, this isn't for us. And they bailed and they quit you. And so you say, man, great, great questions, Mike. Yep. I can get you all three of those. No problem. I'll send them over to you. So anyway, long and short of that, um, the team wasn't excited about it, but you know, as I said, you know, we're going to make a decision. But anyway, I called this guy, got that information in the interim. I ended up found another implementer that actually was out of Minnesota, I think, but she was moving to Phoenix. Um, her name's CJ DeBay. So she's actually one of the high level people inside the US organization. Um, but I reached out, I looked at her, looked on Facebook, or I'm sorry, Facebook, looked on LinkedIn. I noticed another contractor that I know he's in um, restoration, knew her. We were mutual friends, whatever with her. And so I, shot an email to him real quick saying, Hey, how do you know CJ Dubay? I didn't say anything about the US or anything. And he's like, well, she was my coach for three and a half years. Why do you ask? So his office happens to be about a mile from mine. So I ran over and spent the afternoon with him and he gave me her personal contact info and said, she's awesome. I'd highly recommend you do something with her. I called her and she just so happened was coming into town that week and had time for a 20 minute meeting on Friday morning. So I went and had a cup of coffee with her. Walked back in my office that day, grabbed my whole exec team, said, hey, I need you for five minutes. We all walked in a room. I said, hey, whatever day it was, I think it was in September. But I said, so September 10th, clear your calendars. We got a meeting. We're doing EOS. And they all looked at me like, wait a minute. I thought we were going to have a say in this. It's like, no, we're doing this. And I've got a, it's not with the implementer that we met. It's with somebody completely new. It's going to be awesome. So that was in 2017. Um, to a person and one of the people that is not on the executive team anymore, but he would even, if you asked him to a person, if you asked him, what's the best decision you guys have made or Mike's made in the history of his company, they would categorically independently one another say the day that he came in and said, we're doing EOS and he didn't care what we thought about it. It was, it, Fundamentally, I mean, that little pause right there, that was a quick little sweep of emotion over me. Um, super important decision. Um, you know, I feel really proud that, you know, I stood strong and made that decision. It was the right thing for the team, right thing for the businesses. And anyway, so we launched that fall with EOS. And, um, you know, we've never looked back. So it's a two-year program. Um, I laughingly say, yeah, we're four years into a two-year program. Yeah, I think this is, is this uh, our fourth year, Nate? Uh, we might, yeah, at least four. Yeah, and we can't, did you keep your implementer as well? Yep. Yeah, us too. And I, and we would say the same thing. thing. I I don't think anybody on our leadership team here would say anything different. It is one of the best, best decisions ever made in this company. Yeah, it gives you structure to orient around. And if anyone wants to know more about what we're talking about, episode 58 of the Waste No Day podcast is the worldwide ambassador for EOS Worldwide, Mike Payton. That's uh, September 27th, 2021's episode. Feel free to download and check it out. That's awesome. Yeah. I knew you guys were EOS company, um, but yeah, we we got into that. And so it's just been, you know, I laughingly say... um, you know, I was in business for 32 years, nearly 32 years, owner myself, um, holding all the risk. I've been in the industry 
for 43, I guess, 44 this year. Um, and the, I guess the, the amount of time that it took to produce. So let's just go back to not being in the industry, but just being the owner for that long. We're ultimately going to, for the audience, we're getting to a point. I actually did a transaction last November. Um, it was 11 months long in the making, but the, um, there's no way to be categorical about not proving it. But what I say publicly is probably 80% of what that transaction, what was produced in that transaction was produced in the last five years. It didn't need to take that long. <laughs> um, <laughs> although, it, you know, I say it that way, but it really did because you only know what you know. Yeah. And you can only move with what you know and what you're educated on. And so, but I truly believe putting our team, um, when our team came to me and said, hey, we need to reconfigure. And when we did that, we aligned people with the outcomes. So effectively a profit share in place that really was meaningful to them. And then put them inside a system that they could all depend on one another. Because again, the accountability is there. You can't hide. Everybody has to perform. Um, it was like magic in a bottle. Um, you know, what we ended up producing, again, we went from $32 million company in 2016 to the last year I owned it, I think we did $78 million. We went from a 2% bottom line, roughly, to a nice double-digit profitability. With, with um, all that new construction. Yep, all the wow. new construction. And ultimately did a a ridiculous transaction. Um, it was strategic. It wasn't a PE deal. Um, but effectively, uh, jumping all the way forward. So the team, there's a lot of stories in there. And, Nate, and Nate so uh, actually time. just emailed me that he knows I've tried to get the number out of you, and now he'd like a shot. <laughs> Go ahead, Nate. <laughs> Jump in there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this, this has been a, a fantastic journey, Mike, and I appreciate you sharing all those details with us. And, and you, you kind of hinted at right there the last year that you owned it. So where does that bring us to today? What, what are you doing now? Yeah, no, I, uh, so I was a, well, so my current role, I'm still the CEO of the brewer companies, um, which is the combined entities. Um, the, but my actual role is senior advisor to the CEO of Synergos. So Synergos was a purchasing company. They're actually backed by Japanese money, Asahi Kasai. Uh, they're the largest builder in, so they, they're a publicly traded Japanese company. Um, Asahi Kasai Home is a division. They're the largest builder in Japan is one of the offers they have. They're actually in medical equipment. They're in, gosh, a whole bunch of different things. Um, as a Asahi Kasai parent company, $25 billion company. Um, but the Asahi Kasai Home is, um, really the, so they build in Japan, they build in Australia, and now three, four years ago, I guess, they bought a company here in Phoenix, and they're doing a strategic roll-up, meaning they're not buying a whole bunch of plumbers, they're not buying a whole bunch of framers or anything. They started with framing. They're effectively putting an offer together that has us kind of control the startup of a house, 
from layout all the way to maybe sheetrock, um, paint even possibly. I don't know where this will stop, but effectively have control of that, all the trades it takes to build the house out to that point because the, the biggest cost, one of the biggest costs to the subcontractors and the builders or ultimately to the buyer is the breakdowns. You know, home builders are bad in name only. They're actually sales organizations and they're really good at what they do, but they sold something and now they have to deliver it. So hence they become home builders and the home builders, um, the way home building is done again, lack of technology. Um, it's still old school. We're building homes the way we did 50, a hundred years ago um, with a guy out there trying to call all the subs and say, Hey, it's going to be ready for you on this date. And that's fine if you're doing one house. You might even be really good and be able to do it on 10 houses. But when you got a subdivision of, you know, 35 to 50 houses under various parts or different phases of construction, it's humanly impossible to be successful. And we think as center goes that we can control that. We know because we are the plumber, we are the framer, we are the concrete guy, we are the HVAC guy. And so internally we're managing all that schedule. And so we can be way more efficient cut the carry cost out of the house, uh, become just a completely different model than traditionally how a house is built. And so ultimately, I, I'm a senior advisor to the CEO. They are not plumbers. They don't know anything about plumbing. Um, so we still, I'm still engaged there. My team actually manages the day-to-day of the companies still. Um, everyone's on board. And um, I don't think we lost anybody in the transaction, actually, or transition because it's you know, taking place by the transaction. Um, it did, I guess, things to be proud of. I, I actually have a whole presentation called What Did I Learn? Um, that unfortunately, because I'm a storyteller, we never really got to that specifically. Uh, but one of the things I learned was that um, the, I guess the, being part of something bigger you know, we were a legacy business. I grew my business. I was not for sale. Um, I'd always said the caveat. In fact, this came out of that 2017 time frame to my team because they asked me, are we a private equity play? Are we legacy? What are we? And at the time, I, you know, we effectively weren't profitable. I said, well, first off, we just got to get profitable. There's no sense having a conversation. So then we got profitable. I said, okay, we're a legacy business. So I think it was September 2017. I declared we were a legacy business. Um, with the caveat that, you know, if someone walks into the big fat check, it'd be foolish not to go have lunch with them at least. And um, so my CFO who was sitting, we were again out of town on a, what we called a summit, not a retreat. Um, I no sooner got done talking, he said, well, what is it, Mike? You just said three things. And I sat back and thought about it for a minute. It's like, what do you, what do you mean I said three things? I said, okay, I think I get it. So private equity. You go down that path in the construction world. I, I absolutely agree it's different on the service side. But in the construction world, we're going to do everything we can to throw every dollar we can to the bottom line. And then, so we're going to, to do that. And then we're going to argue it's worth a six and they're going to argue it's worth a three and we're going to land somewhere in the middle. Maybe. So that's not investing in the future. We're not investing in people. We're not investing in software. We're not investing in process. We're just trying to run a lean machine, throw every dollar we can to the bottom line to get a multiple of that dollar. Legacy company, on the other hand, is just the opposite of that. 
it's building a school, it's building software, it's building process and people. It's it's a long term play, and we're a legacy business. And because my sons are in it, and they're going to be here thirty years from now, and so what do we have to leave them, and what what are they going to run as they grow? So let's let's do this. The big fat check scenario comes into play is fun, fundamentally different than the private equity play. Because someone knocking on the door when you're a legacy business, the only reason they're knocking on the door is because they got something, you got something they really want to own. You've done something extraordinary. And so now the conversation's different. Now the conversation is you got one chance. Don't embarrass yourself. I'm willing to come have lunch with you, but I'm, I'm a legacy business. I'm not for sale. So if you're serious about it, show up serious. And now then, we're not arguing about a six or a three. It's, you don't, you, know, you, you go a direction that I don't like. It's like, get the hell out of my office. This is, I was that dumb and happy before you knocked on my door. So it's a different posture. If you build a company to be a legacy business, it puts the shoe on the other foot, so to speak, when you do end up in a negotiation. So we ended up, I went head lunch with these folks February a year ago, um, considered doing it. I did go get professional help. I hired in, you know, one of the best or not the best, uh, Margaret Whelan with her own company on the East Coast, an investment banker in the industry. Um, so we did our homework. We made sure we grounded that this is the best offer we got. And it was substantially better than anybody else. Private equity was willing to make and, and do. Um, I appreciate you guys crying a little bit and taking another shot at it. My own kids don't know what the number is um, or was. Shocks. I don't, I don't feel like Brian Nate, just texted all of them. I don't feel like Nate took a very hard <laughs> shot at all, to be honest. No, <laughs> get him a no, headlock here, he see if we can get him to take a better shot. <laughs> but just to circle back on that, it, it was – you know, it, let's put it this way. We all have the same concern our entire life. And the, the fundamental concern is money. Um, gas costs what it can cost. Housing costs what it costs. Medical care costs what it costs. And nobody cares if you can't afford it. Milk doesn't get cheaper because you don't work anymore. Um, so when you think about it that way, um, the, you know, it's up to each of us. And so when I, ultimately decided to do what I did, it took care of those costs. And so what it did take care of for me is I don't have a concern for money ever again in my life. And I mean, I like to think I'm a fairly bright guy. I could screw it completely up and have that concern again, but I worked really hard to get it. And, you know, if we manage it right, if we're good stewards, um, if we're guardians of the family wealth, it can take care of multiple generations. And so I think as business owners, the day we started, we may not think about, you know, maybe someday someone would write us a check for our business, but at some point along the, you know, that ride along our career path, we contemplate, it would be nice to not have the risks, not have the stresses every day that we do. And, you know, I love what I do. I loved every minute of what I did. I shouldn't say every minute. There's ups and downs, <laughs> like in anything. That whole 2008 I, I truly, minute was tough. Yeah, that was tough. But I truly love the industry as a whole. I think that we are undervalued by society, um, highly undervalued. It's what we do as tradesmen and women um, that makes our world go around. 
makes things work. So, it allows uh, us to live the way we live. And it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, because of a marketing campaign that everybody needs a college education that started back in the late 70s, and shame on us as construction industry, we didn't battle that at all until recently. We've got this, oh, you're going to be a trades guy, and you're looked down on. And it just, it's slowly changing. Um, but anyway, I could go three hours just on that. <laughs> it's, it, it is, and, and thank a uh, special shout out to Mike Rowe for leading the charge on uh, fighting that good fight. And it is, it, yep. it is everybody's, you know, dream, obviously, who owns a business or is a partner in a business or what have you to get the quote unquote golden parachute, you know, have a big check written for your business. But you've, you've definitely transcended that as you were sharing um, with Nate and me, you, you made with that transaction, you made people on your leadership team who aren't even family millionaires. Like, what yeah, there, you know, it's one of the things I was real proud of. Um, it's, it's quite the accomplishment. That, right. That, that's another level of success when, um, I, and I had actually heard the first person I heard say that was Leland Smith from service champions said, I don't remember the number on, on the To The Point podcast. He said he, he made a half dozen millionaires with this one transaction um, of his team. And that, you know, I'm a guy who's about, um, you know, the the next generation, sure. But, you know, I had troubled childhood and, and just grew up in some crappy circumstances. And the plumbing trade, I, I'm a plumber by trade, um, is what, you know, in terms of, a living pulled me out of that and gave me an opportunity to do something much bigger and, you know, seeing what I get to see and doing what I get to do and being on a podcast with, with Nate here and going out to dinner with yourself and your wife a few weeks ago and that kind of thing. I feel like all of that was afforded to me by the plumbing trade. So it's a big deal for me to yep. run into someone at a supermarket and they, you know, talk about how, you know, we gave them a shot that changed their the financial future of their entire family. And we're talking, you know, we're not talking millions of dollars. What does it feel like to, I, I can't imagine the gratitude heaped on you by the people that um, got to come along with you. What does that feel you like? You know, yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's a great question. I am really, never actually really thought of it from that perspective. Um, and I'll go back to a, you know, a term I used earlier and you know, humility or being humble. Um, these guys earned every penny without them. The transaction never takes place. So it wasn't a gift. It was an agreement that said, Hey, we're all in this together. I'll go all the way back to, you know, the, the fall of 2016 when we decided that, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And it, it was about a legacy. It wasn't about a transaction, but, the you're right there's five other gentlemen so there's six of us total um they didn't i'll back up on the commercial business there was some ownership in that piece everything else was owned by me um so there was various degrees but the yeah i'm not going to throw numbers out there but there was you know there's <laughs> Darn it. Between one and let's put it this way, between one and four million bucks, um, depending on what their situation was and whether they had any ownership at all or not. Um you know, five other gentlemen got to join the ranks of the seven figure club. 
and super proud of that. Super proud for, you know, have them having the faith in, in me. In fact, as we did the transaction and went through it and I, you know, shared that, Hey guys, so here's how this is going to go, how it's going to get, because they wired direct. They didn't come through me to these individuals. Um, it came out that it was all a verbal agreement. We never had anything in writing. And I guess to me, I mean, it kind of, so someone said something one time and I've never even thought of it the way they brought it up. And it's like, well, their thing was, you mean you're actually going to do like you're going to give them that kind of money and you don't have anything written down that says you have to. And it was almost offensive because it was like, one of our core values is do what you say you're going to do. That goes all the way back to my grandfather when I was five, six, seven years old. And he talked about, you know, he's just a good, hardworking man. And it's like Brewer's our name and you don't ever let your name down. And so I don't care if you have something written down or a contract signed or not. If you shake on something or you say you're going to do something, you do it. So that's deeply, deeply um, part of who we are in our DNA. And so when EOS, when we got to describe our core values or declare them for the business and for the world to, you know, kind of hold us accountable to that's right dead center of all of it. And so, you know, it, it was hugely pleasant. I mean, you know, immense pleasure out of being able to be a part of building a business that affords the opportunity to these gentlemen that um, for all the hard work they did, they got to participate and, you know, it changed their family's lives and, you know, they're, they got big plans. And when you do the math with the, you know, what do you need the day you retire that helped them get there very close to it, a whole bunch of them. And, uh, so, you know, it, it's a, it's a great world we live in. It's a great industry we all operate in. There's opportunities everywhere you look. Um, I'm not a big guy that encourages people to leave companies to start their own, but you're the only one holding yourself back. Um, you know, if you're young and aggressive and willing to take some risk and really good at what you do, it doesn't cost $300,000 to be in business. You know, you could save up a little bit of money and start your own business. Again, I'm not trying to ask anybody to leave who they work for today. And, and, but you know, if you create an environment culturally and create opportunities inside your business that have those same people that are aggressive and smart and really good at what they do, not have to take that risk and want to be a part of it. Again, I go back to just the magic and you know, the mix and incredible things can come from that. And, and absolutely have. I mean, obviously the executive team there received, you know, substantial compensation and, and benefit, but along the way you grew the company from two people to how many? I think currently we're a little over, right about 400 round numbers. 400. So, I mean, all 398 of those people, and of course there's been turnover, so even more than that, but they have all benefited through the growth, the success, the the determination of the business. And that's the beautiful thing. Like you were saying there, if you create a company that has so many opportunities within it, people who have the same entrepreneurial spirit that would cause them to go out on their own 
can see the ladder within the structure and it is easier. There's less risk and yet you can still gain all that momentum behind it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think that, but no, it, it is, it's, it's, you know, pleasurable. I know we, you know, we're going to talk about some other things and the opportunities we afforded. One of the ways we were able to grow the 400 people was, you know, there's only so many people doing what we do in the Valley here. And so for me to grow my company, we either had to, you know, take people from competitors. So, you know, a net neutral move, like if I win, someone loses when it comes to headcount and there's more work than any of us could do. Um, six years ago, I started beating the drum, I guess, for workforce development for the trades. And then a big part of that, we started a school in the fall of 2018 and um, we were able to, in a nine month time frame, you come in the door at $14 an hour and you exit out the other side with a earnings between 60 and $80,000 a year with no debt. Wow. And that's, and it, that's new on the new construction side. hundred percent new construction. Okay. Guys that come in and you know, it's, it's expensive to do, but the return is ridiculous. Again, that's a whole nother conversation how to think about a return on it. Um, but I'll, I'll just share. So the last full year I owned my company, so that's backed up to 2021. I think we did 72 million that year. 23.6% of the revenue that we produced that year was produced by people that didn't know plumbing three years before that, two years before that. Some of them that year. I mean, we have ongoing, we, we typically run a couple of classes a year, um, producing 20 to 30 plumbers. And, you know, they don't know anything. They know how to, use, you know, obviously they use their plumbing growing up, but that's a, that's all they know about plumbing. They don't come in with any background. They've never done, built anything in their life that had anything to do with plumbing. And um, these are 20, 22-year-old guys, 25-year-old guys, 18-year-old kids that in nine months' time that they have completely changed that tree of their family and the opportunity that exists in front of them. Because, and I used 18, I threw the 18-year-old in last because our real target is 20 to 28-year-olds. Um, anybody can apply and we'll take different ages. But someone asked me, well, why not an 18 year old? Like, because probably just came out of school. And although we have had some come through and be successful, we don't target that necessarily. If they interview well, we'll put them in, but we want that 20 year old, 22 year old that's jumped around from job to job that hadn't thought about a career that, you know, he worked here and then he's worked there and he's done sandwiches and pizzas and shoes or whatever, whatever they've done. But when they land in our room the first week, I typically I'll go in on the, the Wednesday of that first week on boarding and I'll spend lunchtime with them for an hour and a half roughly. And basically, you know, I, so the first thing I tell them is, Hey guys, so congratulations on the best decision you ever made in your life. And what I mean by that is you joined our program, you got in and you're sitting here today. And what that means for you is that actually I back up. I just basically say, Hey, so if you're here for a job, it's a great time to get up and leave right now. Of course, no one's ever done that, but what it really opens up the opportunity is to talk about. So I said, because we're not here for jobs. We're here to teach careers. And every one of you has been chosen. We have 
the first class we had a tough time putting 20 people in. Now when we run ads for the class, we have a minimum of 100. Typically, it's between 120 and 150 applicants. So we've gotten better and better. We've got a better crowd to pick from, first off. Um, but even our curriculum's gotten better. And so just way more effective. But the, you know, we want them to know and understand. And the first, like, three weeks is nothing but internal classwork stuff. And most of that is not about plumbing. Most of it's about culture. It's about what they're getting involved with. It's about the company that they're working for. And really, we're building a team. And so one of the, is kind of interesting, so an un, unintended consequence or outcome, I guess, unintended outcome, is that when these guys are out in the field now, by nature of being a production pay shop or a piece pay shop, they're all fundamentally competitors. You know, who gets the next house kind of thing. And in our world, what changed was these guys have gone to school together. They have a shared background, a shared experience, and they have this unique camaraderie that even if they were in a class and then in the next class, they all did the same class. They all learned it the same way. And so they have a different kind of camaraderie than just the plumber that came to work for us that already knows how to be a plumber. And he brings all his bad habits with him. And so how, how, continue, long have, how long have you been running that uh, academy? 2018, November 2018, we started. And do you have any idea like what your graduation numbers are? You know, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. I know that the original group was a disaster um, as far as retention. But our retention now is in the 70% range. Um, we do have fallout. Like if we start with 30 people during COVID, so we like the class to be 30, 32 kids. Um, during COVID, we had to back it down. To, I think it was 20. Um, but we know that there's some turnover. It happens in the first couple of weeks, typically. So we actually started with 24, I think, or 25 um, during that time frame. And basically it was boot camp. Couldn't be in a classroom, you know, everyone's masked up. and It was all about space, um, being six feet apart and all that crap. But nonetheless, um, they did their first morning and then they said, okay, for the next week or two weeks, I forget what it ran. Um, you guys won't be coming here. You'll be coming to this address. And it was basically somewhere out in the field. And it happened to be in August. So you can't be in a worse situation in Phoenix, Arizona than in the field in August. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it cut out those that weren't cut out to be a plumber real quick. The funny part was everybody busted their hump. I didn't experience it, but I was. it was shared with me. There was one guy that called like day two and said, yeah, I'm out. But outside of that, that meant we had five other people, I think, that we had to cut, or four other people. When they made the cut, like, from what I understand, half of the four, so two of the four, when they got cut, were in tears that they got cut. They wanted in so bad. And so we told them, hey, reapply next time around. Now you already know what our expectation is and what it looks like out there and what you know it feels like. So be prepared for it. Come come for battle next time. And I think that they did come back, and I think that they did get in the program later on. But it's you know it's just that kind of you get someone that that see because they already heard the story. They did get to hear the story that first morning about the opportunity in the future in the career. Um, and the, the beauty of it is now is that 
I'm pretty sure they're using it, but they bring in um, some of the prior students. So it's one thing for me or one of my managers to sit up in front of the room and say, and you'll be earning this much money, you know, at the end of the year or when you graduate. It's completely different when a guy comes in and brings his last week's paycheck with him. Oh yeah. And he was he was them a year ago or he was them eighteen months ago, two years ago, and he shows them his paycheck. Guys, I was you. It just gets real, real fast. And Absolutely. so you know, it, it's it's a kind of unique program. We showed it, we've shown it to our competitors. We've shown it to other trades. Um, no one's duplicated it. No one's even attempted to. It just, you know, boggles my mind. Again, it's, it's kind of the, the thinking, unfortunately, in the trades. It's one of the reasons people don't pick up technology is they just want to do what they did yesterday and tomorrow and hope for a different outcome. And we all know that's just the definition of insanity. So, yeah, our band over time, um, we, you know, it's it continued to grow like the unfortunate side for Ben and I, I throw myself under the bus on this a little bit is it did become that little one-off company on the side because the other company was growing so big and so fast and it was really where the big opportunity is. But again, I, I got to give a shout out to the Ben Franklin system and process and, and franchise, current franchise or um, leadership completely changed. Um, my thinking about that particular offer that we made. In fact, here was the interesting part. As I went through the transaction, I expected to spend that out and my boys would go run that and we'd grow that as a service company. Um, and so I, I was quite amazed when I brought that up to the buyer and basically he said, Oh no, we want everything. And I didn't think he was even thinking about that. And they were adamant about, they bought everything. They bought the commercial service business and they bought, I mean, there was a total of five entities. One was in on just a little, I have a device that's got two patents on it. So it's a one skew company, um, test device for the plumbing industry, but they bought all of it, including the franchise business, which was, this made me scratch my head, but they looked at it that they said, Hey, you know, first off they respect. So I guess in hindsight and conversation, it really was about respecting what I had and why, if it was important for me to own, then it was important that they owned it too. Um, they do see the opportunity on the service side and they would like to grow, you know, continue to grow that not only the Ben Franklin, but grow the HVAC and electrical side of the business for service repair. Um, it's a unique, they don't do that in Japan that I know of. Um, you know, they're just new home builders over there, but it's something that they want to explore here in the U S. And so it was, you know, it was just one of those things that, okay, well, you want everything, I guess, you know, I, let me check with the franchise over and, so I checked with them and they were okay with it. And so we ended up, we included that in the transaction. So, um, I truly am employed. It's interesting to say that I don't own anything anymore. <laughs> so I do have a job. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm real proud to say that, as I mentioned earlier, nobody left, nobody freaked out about new ownership and Mike's not here. Mike's still here. Mike's still involved. Um, I'm involved at a very high level. I'm not a day-to-day operator guy. My team now manages that day-to-day. I say now, heck, they managed it when I owned it. That's, they afforded me the ability to go out and do these things legislatively. Um, you know, what are the rules we're going to operate within? Um, you know, the workforce development side, we built a whole program called Build Your Future. Um, 
it's nothing but a marketing campaign to our youth is how we all say that. But in reality, it's to their parents, letting their parents know there's another way that their kids can earn a great living, have a great life and raise a great family um, with a great career. And it didn't put them in debt to go learn how to do it. Um, you know, college isn't for everybody. I, I'm an education supporter um, in many different ways, but what is important to me is where do you get educated? Hey, if you're going to work on my eyes, you're going to work on my teeth, you're going to work on my brain, I'd love you. Go to college for 12 years. Be the best. I want you to be the best if I'm going to put my life in your hands. But there's a whole bunch of other ways to make a living and have a career and not go to college and go into debt doing it and come out and, you know, get paid the way you get paid. And so this program, it's, if, if you want to go look at it, BYFAZ.org. Um, and it's, it's self-explanatory. I know there's other states doing very similar things. Um, I got involved down at the Senate here and locally, and then that ultimately got involved with a, um, one of our organizations here in town that helped put it together and brought us all together. So the commercial side, the residential side, everybody came together, put some money in a bucket, said, let's, let's put a marketing campaign together to go attract the youth into the trades. And it's been very successful. Um, so just another thing I'm proud to be a part of, um, sat as the chair of the original steering committee chair. And uh, it's just one of those near and dear things. Like you say, over the last six years, kind of came from a, somebody needs to do something about this and nobody was doing anything about it. Micro was the only one that was being public about it. Um, you know, when I first started out, it's like, oh, have you talked to, and, you know, there was probably 20, 20 other people like me that were thinking something needed to happen. But, um, you know, I just happened to be able to afford bringing somebody on um, in retainer to actually push this thing where it needed to go. And so here we are six years later, and we got a nice, robust marketing campaign out in the marketplace. Um, so super proud of that. It's one of my accomplishments as well. But anyhow, um, I don't know if there's anything specific you guys question wise have that you'd like to address or, um, we're going to go real long here. <laughs> um, I'm pretty long winded in the storyteller. So hopefully I didn't bore anybody completely to sleep. What a fantastic story, Mike. And, I mean, the story is not over yet, obviously, and I'm sure you have more to more to give and more to offer in, in the future there. Uh, but like the the trajectory just is amazing. Right. I mean, you think back all those years and even you had some emotional moments and, and thoughts uh, while you were just relaying the story to us. But all the challenges, all the ups and downs, all the I'm not sure we're going to make it type uh, years and, and things like that that got you to where you are today. I mean, can you believe the journey? You know, it's, I appreciate you kind of setting that up and thought of it again um, from that perspective, but it is, there's a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of, you know, risk taken. Um, I I guess it's, I'll get hammered probably. Um, But the thing that comes to mind is like childbirth. You forget about it. You think of the good stuff, right? You think of the great stuff, the outcomes, the people you've affected. Um, the opportunities you produce for people 
and for my own family. I mean, you know, I, I don't kid anybody about my reason and my, my executive team tell you the same thing. The reason we go to work every day is to take care of our families, period. I don't care where you work, who you work for, anywhere in this world. That's why we go to work is to be able to take care of our families. And so if you can do it, you're successful with it. There's deep, deep satisfaction in that for sure. Absolutely. And, and the the privilege of being able to see that continually played out in front of you, even as you're not an owner anymore, but you know, it, it's not like you walked away and uh, threw a match on the pile and just kind of said like, Hey, you know, it's, it's not me anymore, whatever. You know, you're still involved. You still see it and you still, uh, get to see the satisfaction of more people entering the trades and the company growing and success happening, which is, which is really cool. And kind of focusing back on, um, the retrospective look there, you know, for people, we asked this, we had an episode like this similar, uh, just last week, actually, as you think back upon all the decisions that got you to where you are today, you know, the big payout, the, the huge win, the windfall, all that stuff, as you think about all the ups and downs and the hard times and everything that came with it, what were the decisions that Mike made that made the difference? Wow. And I, I'll go kind of philosophical, I guess, here. Um, it's just, you know, and maybe it's a mentality and uh, where I was going to go is just never give up perseverance, um, you know, having the will to work through the challenges. Um, you know, I laugh internally here and just struck me. It's like, yeah, they call that a stupid contractor who doesn't know how to quit. Um, but there's something to be said for, you know, being persistent, being consistent, um, being open with your, at least the closest on your team, um, we all have to make the decision on how deep we want to be with our numbers and how transparent we want to be. But, you know, we tend to be afraid of that. Um, I know I was for years and, you know, not sharing that. And what I found was that was all in my own head and that people want to work for a profitable company. They want to know that they don't have to worry about it being in business next week or not. And, you know, some transparency to some degree is appropriate. That's just my philosophy about it. Um, you know, it doesn't mean I post my numbers every at the end of the month on a billboard someplace. Um, but there's, again, I go back to, you know, how do you keep good people? You make them involved. You mean, you know, it's meaningful to them. It's not just, um, it's not just a job, you know, it's something they're a part of. And you know, if you can create that special environment, um, I don't want to say you can do anything because that sounds almost fantasy <laughs> with my definition of fantasy, but you can do things that you never would imagine you could have done when you first started your business. And well, as we bring things in for a landing here, Mike, um, you know, what, what's, what's next for you, right? I mean, you're not, I'm guessing you're not done. You know, most people who have the entrepreneurial spirit, the, the business yep. owner mentality, you know, they don't retire. They never retire. They just transition. Right. So, so what are you looking towards? Yeah. You know, it's, that's a, again, a great question. I appreciate you asking. Um, so December 1st of last year, 
I had six kids, three of them were married. As of, I guess, probably four weeks ago now, I have three grandchildren. So nice. I'm going to be a grandpa. Nice. I am a grandpa. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, if it hasn't come across strong, it's family is what's important to me. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a matter of being that grandfather and being able to do that. That's, that's number one or one of the top five, I guess. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm not done. So I'm still employed. Um, it's different than it was when I was the owner for sure. Um, you know, I've got some means now to make some other investments. You know, I talked about numerous times or alluded to technology in the trades, um, technology in the home relating to the trades and, you know, how does that look and feel? And no, I'm not going to think I can compete with Nest and do something with a thermostat. That's not what I'm talking about. It's, you know, how do we build homes? How do we, um, how do we interact? You know, if you move in and how do you track what you do to your home once you move in? And so there's different things. I'm involved in a couple of different startups there and super excited about where those are going to go in the future. Um, beyond that, you know, I've got a bunch of young, fairly young kids that work for me or worked for me and, and they're still working at the company. And, and, you know, it's one of the things that, because obviously they were affected by this, it was a, is a huge burden for me because I, again, you know, one of my core values is do what you say you're going to do. And I said, we were a legacy business. So how do I even consider a transaction? And I was really struggling with that. And one of my forum mates in the forum made the comment or asked me a question. Basically, he said, hey, let me ask you a simple question, Mike. Can you tell me the difference between a legacy business and legacy money? And in that moment, it just struck me. It's like, wow, what a great question. And so I said, you know, in the 15 seconds I got to think about it here, you know, I might be able to come up with something better give me 24 hours. But the first thing that hits me is one's got a heck of a lot more risk than the other does. And, you know, money in the bank versus a couple hundred trucks running around town that, you know, you know darn well they're not supposed to be texting, but it happens. Right. And the risk that goes is running over a family is it often ends of the spectrum. And so I just turned 62 last month. Um, based on what the economy is doing right now and where the world's at, I'm feeling pretty darn good about the situation I find myself in and the timing of the event that, you know, took place. And so, you know, I don't know what the future holds. Um, I've got a long future ahead of me, short of somebody, you know, a car accident or some unforeseen health thing. I've got, I do a good job of taking care of my health. Um, see the doctor a couple times a year, make sure, you know, I do my blood work and everything's good. But outside of that, I mean, what and I alluded to my kids to start this piece. It's like I told them, you know, there, there's a story around when I did share it with them and their response to it, but it was completely the unselfishness in them. All it would have taken was one of them to say, what the heck that I thought we were going to have a legacy company and get to run this someday. And they didn't. They said, well, shoot, Dad, you've been doing this for over 40 years for an opportunity like this. It just makes sense. And they, as I shared, they don't know what the number is today yet. Um, and so with that, you know, I just couldn't be more proud of the young men that they've become. Um, and that, you know, setting aside wasn't about them, it was about me. And so with that, 
course, I said, you know, hey, what this affords us is the opportunity that, hey, you guys want to start a business? Knock yourself out. Go put a business plan together. You know, present it. I'll probably shoot arrows in it and tell you where there's fantasies or not. And you guys can go reset and come pitch again. And, you know, if we think that it's actually doable, you guys write a check to get started. I can help with that. But you got to ask in the game if you're going to start a business. Otherwise, it's not your money and you won't care. So there's those kinds of opportunities that I see in our future at some place, some point, I would imagine. But I'm also a believer that not everybody's an entrepreneur. And, you know, if you push somebody to do something, it may not be the best move for them or for an investor. So, you know, time time's on our side. We'll see where this goes. Um, but we've been blessed. And, you know, we just want to make sure that we take care of what we've been blessed with and how can we help, you know, other parts of the world with what we've been blessed with. Um, we'll be a big part of that as well. Well, we've been blessed to have you on this podcast, Mike, and, and sharing all these stories. And perhaps uh, our listeners are, are hearing this and they're like, man, this this sounds like something I'd be interested in. Are, are you open to having people reach out to you or, you know, like even for consulting or just like wanting to ask you some questions, that type of thing? Absolutely. No, it's, it's, um, it goes all the way back to what I call my ambition. Um, not about, about being ambitious, but our ambition is my ambition was first there's a financial component to it. So my financial ambition, check that box. We're good. Um, beyond that, what are some of my other ambitions? And, and one of the big ones for me that, you know, makes me get out of bed in the morning is, you know, how can I help other people, especially other, you know, anybody that's in business? basically, but I really kind of focus on young people in business. Um, you know, I alluded to it earlier as the school of hard knocks. It was, you know, learn on the job, all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I liken it to, if I, you know, the way I kind of describe it, if I can keep somebody from stepping in one hole, that's a win. Because every time you step in a hole, you're at a check, it seems like. <laughs> and uh, Lord knows I've stepped in a lot of holes over the years. And so, you know, if I can be a resource, someone's contemplating going down the transaction road, if you will. Um, hey, if there's just a guy out there that says, maybe I ought to start my own business and maybe I could do that same thing. I'm open to those kind of discussions. I mean, it's just like this morning. Um, I met with a guy, as I alluded to before the call started, that, you know, he's right in the process. He's on the third phone call. They're talking numbers. Don't know if they're going to get there or not. But, you know, we spent a couple hours this morning together things to think about and maybe consider as you're in this conversation with someone potentially going to buy he's 38 years old a young guy um and my biggest you know share with him was hey don't fall in love with the deal be willing to walk away anytime he's like oh no i mean if, if they don't go where we're at right now then you know what we'll just won't do it and we'll just keep going what we're doing and circle back in a year and it's like well as long as you can maintain that because it's tough when you get in a negotiation and there's real money involved, but anyhow, just any way I can help out. So yeah, let's, let's just plan on, um, having reach out to you guys. No. Yeah, absolutely. If you're interested in learning more about Mike, um, or getting connected with him or just, you know, uh, would like to ask him some questions, please reach out to us and we'll make sure we facilitate that relationship. Mike, as we close out our podcast here, the final thing that I wanted to be asking you is, uh, you know, for the for the brand new one to three year uh, person in the trades who's sitting in a truck and, and they're looking at you at, 
you know, 60 plus years of age and saying like, I, I can't even think that far ahead. You know, I, I'm looking at the the next wrench that I have to turn. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm, I'm doing these things right now. I'm putting in the grind and I'm willing to work, but I'm not quite sure what I should be working for. As you take us out on this episode, what would be the focus point that you would say to like that up and coming generation that's joining the trades as to what they should be focusing on right now? Gosh, it's pretty broad, but I guess to narrow it down, it would be, you know, be committed to your career. Um, and that could be, you know, one to three year guy. It's like learn everything you can learn. You know, quality work matters, like no shortcuts, do it right. In the long term, that's way less time consuming and lower cost than not doing it right. Um, you know, be committed to who you work for. That's how you build an identity. Believe me, as owners, we notice guys that are like committed, that are after it. They're head and shoulders above the guy that's not. And we all have guys that aren't in our shops. We have to. We need people. But when you're committed to the trade, you're committed to what you do, you're a quality employee, you show up on time, um, you know, you go the extra mile, you do the extra task, whatever, without being asked. Typically, those are noticed. And if they're not, then you need to notice that and maybe decide on, you know, is this the right place for you to be? Um, again, I'm not a proponent for asking anyone to leave where they're at, but I am a proponent for you to earn as much money as you can so you can take care of retirement, take care of your family along the way. And as a young guy, you know, early 20s, just starting out, um, probably don't have a family yet, probably don't have a home yet. Those are all the things to aspire for. And I just, you know, I congratulate you on taking the time to listen like to something like this, to listen like, said it twice to listen to something like this because it'll trigger thinking in you. It'll have you have a different outcome in life versus the guys that's just showing up doing their job and going home for the week. And so, you know, be committed to your career. That's the best thing I can tell you. Great way for us to wrap up this episode, Mike, and a great challenge for our listeners out there to be committed and to be listening and expanding your mind to these types of ideas. Mike Brewer, it has been a privilege to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for taking an extended period of time to do this two-part episode with us. We've enjoyed the time with you, and uh, we hope and trust that our listeners will have done the same. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Brian. Great, Great to talk to you again, Mike, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. That's a wrap for this two-parter. We hope that you enjoyed uh, episode one and episode two with Mike Brewer. Man, did he have a story to tell and a lot of content that goes with it. And you know, like any good story, that it's just the tip of the iceberg for all the tears and fears and everything that went along with making that story possible. And now that he's on the other side of it, it's a lot easier to look back and, and process your way through. But that could be you as well. And one of the things that we want to challenge you in is having that long-term view of what you're doing, right? Stop thinking so today. Stop thinking so right now. Start thinking longer, bigger, farther ahead. Uh, and it will develop something inside of you that is more mature, that is, that is more uh, stable, that is looking for the next thing and not constantly and myopically focused on 
what's right in front of you. That type of thinking usually gets you short-term solutions. But if you begin assessing and expanding your mind to opportunities and things that are going to think 20 years out, 30 years out, 40 years out, it will develop something new in you. And I, I hope that's been an encouragement to you. I know that this podcast has certainly done that. And again, we're so grateful to have Mike and his story on the show. Uh, we want to leave you with our challenge as we do every week to make sure that you are finding ways to improve, expanding that mindset and choosing to wake up every single morning and waste no day. Mm-hmm.